Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Sometimes I say that intro so fast, I feel like I just put all the words together. Microphone. Microphone. <laughs> Which I already noticed in another episode, it kind of felt very Elvis-like. Yeah, I but, liked um, that one. Microphone. Microphone. <laughs> It's uh what what day is it? So Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday evening. Another. It feels like we're reliving the COVID years. It's another bedroom session. Hey, you get to hang out in our bedroom tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Heather's a relatively new listener, so she might not know that we had a whole series that we called the bedroom sessions right back at the beginning of COVID, uh, when we weren't going into the office at all. We brought all of our podcasting equipment home. And because we weren't allowed to put our hands on people or work for about four months, we were sitting in our bedroom recording podcast after podcast. And yeah, that that whole series so, of our life was called the bedroom sessions. I'm going to bring back the bedroom <laughs> sessions. That. I'm going to bring it back in full because during the bedroom sessions, there was a fucking shit ton of weed smoking. So, I'm oh my God, I was I was drinking every tonight every recording yeah, during those times. Good times. Good I mean, times. I actually cringe listening back on those episodes because I can tell Why? the ones where maybe I had a glass too many. Nah. <laughs> nah. I kind of just listen sporadic. Like I, I feel like I have to catch up so much because you have so much content out there and that I'm like picking random like podcasts from here and there where I really should probably go in order. No, <laughs> you know what? The, the, you I don't, don't know if to. it matters to go in order. No, 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 it doesn't. The randomness is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, pick the ones yeah. that sound interesting to you. Or you know what? Pick ones that you think you know nothing about that topic. You might learn something, right? Or you might learn absolutely nothing. You might walk away going, I still know absolutely nothing about that <laughs> fucking topic. All I know is that Mark guy swears a hell of a lot. Yeah, but I love it. That's when I was like, this is what I need to listen to. And I think that's when I went and liked your page. Everything else is so stuffy, and I'm like, all right, we're all just people, you know? Like, let's lighten it up a little bit. That's yeah, awesome. we get that it's so much though. Like, I, I maybe maybe you and Amanda and myself, like maybe we're not normal. Like, I thought talk like this was normal, to be honest with you, because I guess it's just the crew of people that I've always rolled with, where language was never a thing. We just it, this is how we talk. Every second word right. is is fuck for the most for the most part <laughs> for real. And it's maybe but, like every fourth. <laughs> but it's, but I mean but I mean I've I've been like this since like early high school. So like all of my friends, we talk like this, and so when when we get a lot of feedback like oh the language it's so unprofessional i'm like this is just how this is how people talk don't other people just talk like this This is how people you know what honestly i i'm with you like i mean you know all of my friends and basically it's the same with them you know every fourth or fifth word is fuck 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 it's just always been the way we speak even now we we're all moms we all have kids and you know we don't do it in front of the kids but when i'm on the phone with my girlfriends it sounds like a bunch of truckers hanging out (laughs) and it's just normal for us to speak that way um i never really thought twice I, i never really thought twice about it and but even the patients that i get as a massage therapist like it's not like i meet someone and i start dropping f-bombs but once they get to know me they do like i'm getting patients who just they'll swear in the big part in my french i'm like oh you don't have to apologize to me honey it's so weird but anyway anyway well let's do some formal introductions hey everyone it's amanda well, thanks for and... calling us not stuffy <laughs> yeah we're not I, we're not stuffy we swear a no, lot i appreciate I, I mean the best client relationships are the ones where you can be as much of yourself obviously with having that professional boundary. So I love when my clients tell me outrageous stories and curse on the table. I'm all for it. Like, I'm all it for it as long as it doesn't get weird. Sometimes people tell me stuff yeah. that I'm like, I didn't need to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's introduce our guests. Yeah, so, hey everyone, it's Amanda. And as Mark said, we are doing the bedroom sessions once again. And the reason for that is we have been so freaking busy shooting video and doing a bunch of cool stuff during the day that honestly, our only time to podcast is in the evening. And I've got to see my kids. I can't, you know, be gone all day and then gone all evening. So I come home, I hang out with the kids. I put them to bed and then we are back at it recording. So we might have a few bedroom sessions coming up in the next little while, but we'll be back in the office eventually. And tonight we are talking to Heather, who's a licensed massage therapist from, she says, the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I said, sorry, I'm just going to say Philadelphia because I only know Fresh Prince. I don't know what the suburbs of Philadelphia are. And as I mentioned, she's a new listener to our podcast who reached out a little while ago saying like, 
I just discovered you guys. I love it. It's so great. And so we asked her, like, how did you find us? What made you discover us? And it was because Heather has just opened a her own massage therapy business right a couple months ago and was trying to look up resources. And she said, I tried listening to some other stuff and it put me to sleep. No offense, any other podcasters, but it wasn't her jam. And we said, cool, you're a new business owner, a new listener let's have you on as a guest and talk about some stuff. So thanks for sending us a message, Heather. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on here. Let's start immediately with an introduction. So again, you've listened to a number of episodes. You know what I'm going to ask you. Let everybody know how long you've been a therapist, what got you into this career, and ultimately why you decided to open up your own business. So I definitely was a wild child and I was kind of like bartending and making really good money when all my friends went away to college and I knew I was smart but I just didn't have you know that thing that made me be like I'm gonna go to school for this and this is what I'm gonna do so I made pretty good money bartending and nannying um I always did both and then I got to a point where I like kind of lost myself. All my friends were coming out of college, getting great jobs and just moving and having this growth that I felt like I wasn't obtaining myself. And I would always just, I feel like massaging stemmed from my dad being a kid. He'd always be like, I'll give you $5 if you uh, stand on my back, rub my back. And I would just always do it to my friends as an affectionate thing. And one day someone was like, why don't you just be a massage therapist? And I was like, huh, a really good idea. Had you ever even considered it before? Like, had this thought ever crossed your mind? Was massage a viable career option for you before someone said, why don't you just do this? So I did think about it once before, but I was probably around 18 or 19. And it was just something that I was like, that'd be cool. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I also wanted to be a NICU nurse. Then I was like, I'm a little too sensitive. I don't know if I could leave work at work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was like, I'm going to be a juvenile psychologist. And then kind of came back to the same conclusion. I was going to say, I feel like that's the same problem. (laughs) Yeah. So I knew I wanted to help people and I know that I'm an empath and, and just like, you know, you have a group of friends and each friend serves you something different in that relationship. Um, So I'm always the friend that people kind of like come to for advice, come to for whatever. Do you like that role that you play with your circle of people? Or is it like, fuck, I guess this is my role. And this is what, (laughs) no, seriously. Like, I'm I'm curious because like, I I, know you're serious. Like, I'm because I'm the kind of guy that will drop everything to help you out if if you need it uh-huh. to a fault to a point where sometimes i i agree to do something i'm and, and, and in the moment it, it's like yeah this is what i need to do and then when it comes down to it i'm like why the fuck did i do that you also became that guy to my friends i know i've mentioned this on an episode before but my friends st- like no mark is the guy who will always answer your call you can call him at one in the morning and if if he hears his phone if he's up or whatever he will answer your call so you became that guy that like if somebody right. needed someone and, they're like i'll call mark and, yes. and most of the time when the phone rings at one in the morning i look at it and i'm happy to do so and then there's the off moment when i look and i go get the fuck out of here i just want to fucking not do this right now so i'm curious do you like that role that you've assumed um Overall, yes. I think that I, you know, my parents and I had a different family relationship. I'll put it lightly. Um, So I kind of grew up quicker than, you know, a normal child should have. So I feel like I kind of adopted that role in childhood to my siblings and just being responsible and having to be a participant in the household. I grew up in Bucks County, which is a very rich area. And um, yeah, so like I had struggles that were different from my friends and we just went through a lot. So I feel like I took on that, like I'm taking care of everyone else. Um, And then, you know, I created deep friendships and they 
are so closely my family. But I am grateful because I can say that it's returned because people know I will do anything for anyone at any time, Hmm. regardless of where our relationship stands. If I have love for you, I have love for you. Even if I don't know you, I'm just sympathetic enough that I'm like, okay, if I can do this, I will do this. Mm -hmm. On the other side of it, though, I'm bad with boundaries, which I'm now 30. And that has been probably my biggest struggle with business. Mm -hmm. So it's like a bittersweet, it's kind of a gift and a curse. And sometimes I do exhaust myself trying to deal with other people. Because I imagine people, I imagine that people take advantage of someone like you left, right and center. Oh my gosh. Not as much now because, you know, I'm 30. So I've learned to you know, put up certain boundaries, but it took a lot of time to get here. I was a very much like a yes man. So and you'll get better at that, too, even as you get older, like 30 is still very young. Um, I, w- I wanted to know, though, Heather, are you the oldest of all of your siblings? I am not. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> I'm not. I have an older sister and an older brother who are two months apart. My parents both were teen parents and had them at 15 and 16. So then I'm and and then they didn't work out with their first relationship. Then they got together and had my sister and I. Okay. Now just when you were saying like you kind of took on that role and like took care of everybody, I feel like I hear that from a lot of like oldest children, you know, like they feel like if yeah. they don't quite have what I would, I, I guess the typical family for lack of a better term right now, the oldest child kind of assumes the role, but and you were not the oldest child, why do you think you kind of fell into that role of like, I just want to take care of everybody? Like, is that something that came innately? I'm going to guess, and it's just a guess, and I have no basis saying this. I think someone assumes that role because no one else is doing it. Yeah. 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 And my older sister lived with her mom, um, three different moms. And so I was the oldest female in my household and my parents worked multiple jobs. It It was kind of like keeping up with the Joneses. We were like, had the house, had the cars, but like, didn't really, I mean, we, there was times where we were fine, but we were very, you know, struggling middle class. And Mm -hmm. so my parents worked multiple jobs to have the things that we had. So that's where I get my work ethic. Definitely. But it also meant that not really having that at home. So it was just like my older brother was like a sports superstar. And so his focus was always like baseball. And so it was just like, well, laundry has to be done. I have to make my lunch and my sisters. It's just like, I don't know. My family was very much like you here, here, and you live here and you're contributing. Right. And this is how it has to be for this household to function. But yeah, it really does instill like a work ethic in you. And just it's there was. Do you remember that TV show that used to be? I know this is so cheesy, but it just made me think of it. There was a TV show that used to be on Two Broke Girls. Did you ever watch that? Yes, I did. You did. I know you did. Okay. Well, there was an episode of Two Broke Girls with the two girls. One of them, if you've never seen it, one of them came from a very wealthy family who lost all their money. So she became broke, but she grew up very, very rich. The other one always grew up struggling, you know, like she she always had to work and help her mom pay the bills, etc. And so there was one episode where the very rich one realized how many things behind the scenes the like poorer uh, friend was doing for her, you know, like she was taking care of her pet. Mm-hmm. She was making coffee. She was doing all these things. And she said to her one day, like, who do you think's been doing all of this for you? And the, the very rich one said, I don't know. I've always just had things done for me. And she goes, yeah, well, I haven't. So I just do them. Like when you don't, when you don't have any other option, you've got to just work, then that's just how you like live your whole life, right? You just do things because you don't expect that things are just going to get done for you, right? Yes. And I don't know if you're into horoscopes or believe them, but I'm Capricorn. So I'm like workaholic by nature. And yeah, <laughs> I definitely, that's like all I know. Otherwise I'm like, all right, I'm being a lazy piece of shit. Well, yeah, I thought Where's that when you here? were um, when you were talking about being a bartender and a nanny, I wanted to interrupt you right there, but I didn't. I was like, so wait a minute, you deal with other people's annoying, screaming children all day. And then you'd go deal with annoying drunk people all night. Like, how did you, how did you fucking function? I never did well at one job. I always got so bored and I was like, I need more stimulation than this. So I always loved having like a nanny job, which is like consistent money. And then I had like 
a bartending or a serving job. And I made really good money. Like I was making, you know, at 18, 19 years old, probably like over a thousand dollars a week in cash most times. So for at that age, when you're making $50,000 a year, you're like, wow, this, this is, is awesome. great. All my college yeah. friends are broke. I have so much money. And I thought I was so like on top of the world. And then I hit like 24 and I went through a pretty bad breakup. And then I was like, what am I doing with my life? And I just lit a fire under my ass. You know, what's crazy. I know that 24 is an adult and, you know, most people are, have graduated college at 24, but me now in this phase of my life, I'm like, I hear that and I realize how young 24 really is. And I'm like, you know, if you don't have your life together at 24, like that is okay. 24 is actually very, very young, you know, but I remember being 24 and feeling like I need to get like, just as Heather was saying, I need to get my shit together. I need to like know what I'm doing with my life now. But do you? Can't you still have some time to figure it out? You definitely do have time to figure it out, but then you're always you're also surrounded by people that you feel are just like just zipped right by you. And then you're just like, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? Like this person that used to be way behind me throughout my whole life that I've known them suddenly just flew by me like I was standing still. And then this other person does it. And this other, and then you're sitting there going, Jesus fucking Christ, what am I doing? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You just nailed it on the head. And it was especially hard because a lot of my friends, their parents like paid for their college outright, which is great for them. I'm so happy for other people to have those privileges and experiences like that's incredible. And that's awesome. I didn't have that luxury. So I had to work every step and inch that I got and that I had. And so for me, it was like, oh, I'm making all this money bartending and nannying. And then my friend gets out of school and they're making a hundred grand a year and they never even had to hold a summer job. And I just felt like there was a point where it was a little bit of like self-loathing and just being like, I just got out of a relationship. I don't have a career. Like I don't, it was just like a very low, low in my life. Mm -hmm. And once I hit the ground running with like, okay, this is what I'm doing. It was like a matter of as soon as I it clicked in my head, I went and looked into schools. I applied. I was registered for the next class. I rearranged my schedule. I saved money that whole summer so I could go to full-time school. Um, and I just made sure all my bills were paid for those eight or nine months. And I just did it. I paid half the school in cash. And I just was like, like once I have an idea, I'm like, I have to do it and get it done. That's amazing. And the fact, you know, the fact that, as you said, you didn't start, you know, right when your friends did, you maybe felt like you were a little bit behind, but I think it happened exactly when it was meant to happen. You know, you got to save up some money so that you were able to go to school full time and not have to kill yourself working three jobs and, you know, taking out loans, you know, that that's, you know, maybe it was meant to go that way, right? That you maybe started a little bit later. But the other thing too, is you get to say, like, when you look at that massage therapy diploma, you're like, yeah, I did that. Like, I, I made all of that happen on my own, which, you know, not all of us get to say a lot of us did get help from our parents. I mean, my parents helped me pay for university. There's no freaking way that I could have made it through four years of university without some support from my parents. Like, no way. Absolutely. That's kind of what scared me out of college. I sat down with advisors and they were like, do you know what you want to major in? And I was like, I like English and I like anthropology and I like psychology, but I don't want to be a teacher. And when I looked at what the debt was going to be for me to get help and housing and tuition, I was like, I'm looking at a hundred thousand dollars of debt when I don't even know what I want to do when I come out of this. So it just scared the shit out of me. And I knew the value of a dollar at 18 and I wasn't foolish. And you know what? It's the best decision I ever made because I'm debt free and I live debt free and I always have. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And you're still nannying before we get into you opening a business. <laughs> I I just thought that was so interesting that now that you are a licensed massage therapist and you can be practicing full time, you have held on to your nanny job. Why? I always had a nanny family and I'd always stay for a long time. But six years ago, I met um, the family I'm currently with and their oldest is autistic. And it was, I don't know. They just have become my family. And I think it's very much more of an emotional attachment now to them and the kids. And they're just such a big part of my life. And 
now like we hang out outside of nannying and I attend the family functions and the basketball games and the parties. And so it's just more like my family and with their oldest having special needs. I just like, it's weird. It's like, I have this feeling where it's like, no one's going to watch him as good as I watch him, which is so strange because that's probably the way his mom feels, but it's like, (laughs) I've watched him grow up since he was before he turned four. And in September, he'll be 10. Wow. I don't know. I just, I'm attached and I just, I love them. And when I think about leaving, it makes me emotional. So I'm like, then I just know I'm not ready. Well, and again, the empath in you Mm -hmm. knows that like, Mm -hmm. he's going to get the absolute best care with you. And you can't imagine having to trust him with anybody else. Like if I've learned anything in these past couple of years, I'm not going to throw shade at anyone. I'm not going to give examples, but man, I trust fucking nobody. (laughs) If you want to get shit done, right? Do it yourself. Oh gosh, I'm going through that now because people are like, let me help you do. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. (laughs) I just want to do it myself and know how to do it myself. I'm not trying to one-off tasks to everyone I know. So I totally understand. And I don't, I don't know. It's hard because he's in school. So it's like not that many hours. I just am like, who's going to come here after school and have the level of knowledge and know him the way I know him. And it just, it feels good to be there. And so even though I can make more money, if I left, I feel like it's feeding a different piece of my soul and my heart where it makes the money not matter. Do you feel part of the the not caring about the money comes from the not having tons of money. Like if you had tons of money growing up, would you, would you think you'd have the same idea about, yeah, you know, maybe I should stay with this family, even though I could go make more money somewhere else. This Mm -hmm. is filling a spot in my soul that, that, that is just there. Do you think that comes from the, the grow the, the way you grew up in the financial situation? Um, No, because they're the exception and not the rule. So any other aspect of my life, it's driven by money. I'm very fiscally responsible. Even with opening my business, I paid for everything out of pocket. I didn't want a business loan. I didn't want to half-ass anything. Um, So with everything else, the way I save, the way I budget, the way I bookkeep, the way I budget myself out for the business and personal finances, three months in advance. And so... I feel like in every other aspect, I'm very financially motivated, but with them, I think it's all emotional. I think that like me not having the closest family unit growing up and now when you become an adult, you just start to find people who become like adopted pieces of your family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what they are. So I think for me, it's like leaving a niece and a nephew or like a little brother and a sister right that makes sense so i mean you were you were semi on the ball mark it, it did have a little bit to do with upbringing well, i was just curious so if the, if the money part of the upbringing was a, a, a factor but no but i mean if she's as organized and we had this discussion fucking crazy organized we had this discussion actually when you were uh taking care of our children who were knocking at the door we had this discussion about how organized she is so she very much appreciated our like pre-podcast chat where i was telling her exactly what was going to happen and all the rules and blah blah blah. she goes wow you're super organized and i got to hear a little bit about her organization i like that i like people who are organized it makes me happy um yeah so what i was going to ask was once you like decided I'm getting my shit together, you registered for massage school, you said you were in the next class. How did you find massage school? Like, were you, was it what you expected? Did you find it very difficult? Did you find it easier than expected? Like, what was your experience? So school in the States is a lot, di- it's diff- it varies state to state, but yeah, um, I know your programs in Canada are way better, way more organized, way for, way more, um, geared towards the information and the knowledge and hands-on the school I went to was shit and it really really sucked we just had a teacher who was there for the paycheck um but half of our course was the anatomy physiology and kinesiology and we had a nurse who taught that course um and she was absolutely amazing and if it wasn't for her and my classmates um I don't know 
it would have been much harder to survive. There was a lot of like self-education and us getting together with our teacher on off hours to learn what we needed to learn to be prepared for the NBLEX. It was just not the greatest experience. And then, you know, a year later, COVID happened. So it was tough, but we got through it. I mean, I wouldn't recommend the school to anyone. Actually, I would now because the student who I was really good friends with, his name is Tom, and he was like 40, mid to late 40s, and he left a corporate job and just wanted to get into a new career and thought that this was always his passion. And now he actually teaches the program. So I'm so happy for him. He took it over and he revamped it. And he's a phenomenal teacher. And he's a huge, huge reason why I was able to pass that class. And that he learned exam. what not to do as a teacher and he fixed it. <laughs> Yeah. You, know, you know what? We hear a lot of this, both from people in the States, but a lot of people in Canada as well. Like, yes, you're oh, right. Course. Where Canadian education, it, we have more hours. We, we might a have a little hours. more structure to what the curriculum is supposed to be, but it is always dependent on the instructors. Because I went to a school that wasn't necessarily top notch. Like, honestly, it wouldn't have been the one I chose if it weren't for the fact that I had some ties to that place. But... I had some fucking wicked instructors and I, I, you know, I also had a background being that I have a degree in kinesiology. So I had a little bit of prior knowledge to help me out. The school, although not fantastic, the instructors made it okay. But yeah. I, we hear a lot of that. We did an entire episode called Has Your School Failed You? Mm-hmm. Because we get a lot of people mm-hmm. coming to mm-hmm. us for help with the licensing exams because their school was shit and just didn't prep them enough. And, you know, I know a lot of people, we got a little bit of hate for that episode because a lot of people say, well, is it really the school's fault? Yeah, sometimes it really is. If you've got a yeah. bunch of staff who are there for a paycheck and are not there for the best interest of the students, you know, maybe pushing students through who aren't ready or, you know, really half-assing the material because, you know, we've covered the basics. It makes such a difference when you have an instructor that's like, I don't just want you to pass this exam. Mm -hmm. I want you to be a fucking good therapist. Those are the people that you need teaching. And unfortunately, those aren't always the people you need teaching. And I'm going to give what may be a popular or unpopular opinion right now. Massage therapy instructors need better pay. I think that sometimes people turn down those jobs who could be really amazing because the pay isn't great. And that's not everywhere. Some schools pay very fairly, but I've seen a lot of job postings for massage therapy instructors where the pay kind of sucks. And so I think you're not getting the best people for the position. You're getting the people who are like, okay, I'll work for this much money. Mm -hmm. Right. And she would actually say that to us. She would mention on several occasions that the pay was bad and that she was like, struggling financially which puts you in an awkward position as the student um, super awkward why is she telling but she be, that? <laughs> yeah she she was not professional like she would play videos of like her having a festival and like her boyfriend bmx riding it was very bizarre and i don't <laughs> think it was a great time in her life either especially to oh, be man. taking on such a big role and i think it was something that she wasn't really prepared for and I don't know. I know that she left the program like right after our class ended, but yeah, it was, it was a rough go around for that to say the least. So you didn't have a fantastic time in school, although, you know, thankfully you had some good classmates and at least one good instructor that got you through. And then when you graduated, did you do the MBLEX right away? Like how, how long between leaving and doing your licensing exam? Um, I took my MBLEX right away and I didn't even study and I was so nervous. And I always do that to myself because I feel like I get, um, if I study too much before a test, I bomb the test. I do it every time I start to overthink everything. And so throughout the year, we took those like mini testing courses on ABMP and I was just like crushing them all. And I was like, honestly, I just feel confident in this. And I probably got my test two months later. I took like a little break and then walked in for my test. And I thought I failed because your screen just goes black and it says you are finished testing now. And then I went out and they handed me a paper that said I passed. And I was like, oh, I thought I failed. This is great news. (laughs) 
Well, that's awesome. Mark and I are both very similar. We've talked about it on multiple episodes where like, I'm not the person that like crams the night before or that's no. like reading notes right up to the moment of a test. Can never do that. No. We're no. both the type of people mm-hmm. that's like, I need to walk away from this a certain amount of time. Mark was even better than me. He'd start, stop studying something ridiculous four like three days, day, th- four or five days before a test. Me, I would maybe study up until like the day before, but there was like no a cutoff. Way. Like I would never be like the person like staying up really late or pulling an all nighter. I wouldn't even think about it or look at a note the day of the test. And I'd be standing outside of whatever whatever room I was having a test in and see all of the other students like sitting there cramming and I wouldn't let any of them talk to me. So I'm like, I can't do this to myself. Like I, if I know it, I know it. If I don't, I don't like, I don't talk to me right now. And as you said, I don't like to second guess myself. Like I would feel confident enough that I'm like, I don't need any doubts coming in. I walked into my licensing exam, like way too confident like so overconfident like i'm gonna kill this and then of course i went in and did it recognized all of my mistakes because i actually was not an idiot (laughs) so i recognized all of my mistakes left and cried because i assumed that my mistakes made me fail Mm. and did you fail no i didn't i was just being overly critical just as you thought you failed yeah so far like i stopped studying so so far away from the test yeah but you all the time you are the type of guy was, though you learn something an, and like instantly understand it without no, ever you know, reviewing was, it i'm like I, how did you do that I, i'm i'm surprisingly more like that now i think if i had to go back to like do formal education now it'd be really easy because this all the stuff that that i'm thinking about now that i found difficult I, I don't I don't understand why they're difficult. I'll learn something on that same level now fast. So Yeah. But I would stop studying really far away from a test and then as I'm going into the test, I would always have my notes with me, like from the whole the whole term or the whole course or whatever the case, if it's a final. And then I would like tear tear up all my notes and just chuck them in the garbage as I walk in. Like <laughs> just a symbol of so like symbolic. I'm done with this. This is done. <laughs> I don't even need these notes ever again. Amazing. So yes, I I appreciate that, Heather, that it was like, okay, I'm confident I'm going in because you can second guess yourself all day long. And I have to say the people that I know that like failed their licensing exam the first time, the second time, whatever. And then I talk to them and realize like, you know your shit. Why did you fail? You failed because you weren't confident. Most of the time. Most of the time. I never was a studier. I just always took diligent notes. And I was like, if I just pay attention this time, I'm good. And that always works for me, I guess. I don't know. Because I'm very all or nothing. So I'm like, I give it my all and then I don't want anything to do with it. And that's why when I, even when I was in high school, I would have great marking periods, like first and second. And then last quarter of the year, it was like a serious drop off. I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this now. What what blows me away, because in Ontario... Oh, I lost. It. <laughs> so sorry. You need to stop smoking as we're recording. Wait, you can't remember a damn thing. This is the f- most frustrating part, and I can imagine this because we do preparation for Ontario exams. Anyone that wants to help have help with prep, it's not that someone doesn't know stuff; it's they don't recognize that they because ours is an oral it was an oral practical exam. It that's part of the ex- licensing exam. It doesn't, it's not that they don't know stuff sometimes. It's they don't recognize that they're supposed to be displaying certain things. Because if you stop and ask them questions, they'll be able to answer you and give you all the correct answers. But they don't have that someone prompting them, show me this, show me this, show me this, talk to me about this. They, they just, a lot of people just don't recognize, oh, I should be displaying this, this knowledge and this information. So is that a school problem again? Has their school not prepped them I, well enough? I, do, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Or is that a student that that retains information but just can't can't just can't just cough it all up on my own, right? You can ask me questions and I can answer you based on all the information that I that I've received, but I can't just cough it up on, on my own. Some people are just bad test takers. Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot. Maybe can communicate it in a different way and when it's on paper and I don't know. Cause I feel, I know some of my classmates failed and I felt for them because I'm like, I know, you know, this, and I know that you're a good therapist and you'll figure it out, you know, just don't psych yourself out. So I feel like it's like a huge head game too. And then if they know they're not a good test taker, then they're definitely overthinking it. Oh yeah. Then they're going in there nervous as shit because all of their previous experience with testing is 
not so great. Once you passed your exam, which obviously you did first shot, um, how long before COVID hit? Like how long were you practicing before you had to stop practicing? So I was in a unique situation um, from one of my waitressing jobs um, 10 years prior. Uh, I found out that a girl that I knew and had worked with went to the same school I did. So I had reached out and said, Hey, did you go to the school? Was it a shit show when you went here? What's up with this program? What the hell am I doing? (laughs) And she was like, well, when you get out of school, I work at a chiropractor and my sister who I also worked with is the office manager here. So we need people desperately. And so I was like, Oh, well, this is great news. And they were willing to pay double of what a spa is willing to pay out of school. So I'm like, this is amazing. And then two weeks later, I got a call from the boss just saying like, I talked to my people and my insurance and we worked it out so that you can work here and practice under my license and under the license of another therapist. And, but you won't be getting paid for that because it would be like an internship. So I feel like that is where I got a lot of my knowledge and experience and I probably grew the most. So I would say four or five months before I was in school for four or five months and I started interning there, um, which was a great experience. And then that just turned into me having a job. So I had a job immediately at a chiropractor coming out of school. Um, Going into school, my goal was I want to do sports and I want to do and I want to have my own business and either I'm massaging for a professional sports team or I'm having or I'm running my own show. And then I looked into sports more while I was at the chiropractor and I was like, wow, sports massaging is not only ass kicking for myself, um, especially coming out of the school and, you know, you kind of get hit in the face with being so busy. But um, I also realized you didn't get paid anything typically. Um, so I just stuck it out the chiropractor. I lo- I learned to love like the medical and corrective part of massage and I just kind of found my thing. So I'm actually still at the chiropractor back to being a workaholic. So I'm actually managing that job and nannying and my business. Whoa. And I don't have a life. Whoa. Okay. So, all right. So wait, let me just, let me just get this timeline straight. When exactly yeah. did you graduate? Um, Three years ago, February. Okay. You graduated three years ago yeah. and then right out of school, you had a job. So you've been working yep. at this chiropractor while continuing to nanny. And then you opened your business just two months ago, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that you've opened your business, now is it just you as a solo practitioner? Do you have any associates? Like tell me what your your business setup is. So I'm just solo right now. Um it's a small studio. Um and I was doing mobile massage and then I kind of stopped doing that with COVID. Um, So I was working at the chiropractor and doing some side clients and COVID came, we shut down March 14th. I was able to go back to work by July. um, And then I was pretty much back full booked full time there by August. So it wasn't too long of a break. It was okay. We made it through. I really am just sticking with my niche of doing sports massage and then corrective and therapeutic work. So I am not in the business of giving a fluffy massage. I hate giving relaxation massages. It's an eye roll and it's boring and it's just not one of them. I mean, I'll do it if someone asks me to, but... I really like someone coming in and saying they have frozen shoulder. They need things that really need to be worked on. They have SI problems, sciatic problems. like, And I feel like it's almost selfish too because it makes me feel good to make people feel good. Hey, you like what you like. And there's a whole bunch of therapists who love to give relaxation treatments. And that's the beauty of this profession is there's room for all of us. Absolutely. You are, you are going to get some hate mail from our friends who hate when people call relaxation massages, fluffy massage. So I'll give oh, them I'm your sorry. address. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't worry. Okay. If you, if you come on a tour of teasing a mic episode, everyone has a purpose. It's just not my purpose. Hey, you don't Absolutely. have to justify yourself. If you come on a tour of teasing a mic episode, you have to know that you're going to have some people who love you and some people who hate you that's how we roll <laughs> yeah maybe we should be saying sorry it's just boring it puts me to sleep like between the, the music and the it's just i can't do it i can't do it mark 
agrees with you. It's funny because he will always say he loves getting relaxation treatments, but he hates doing them because oh, he them, wants to I, fall asleep. But I love receiving. Yeah. I mean, I love I to really like beat the shit out of someone for lack of a better words. And then like end it with like a nice scalp rub and like relax you at the end. But like other than that, like if it's full body, if I have like one in a day, that's perfect because it's almost like a break on my body in a way. But if I have too many back to back, I'm like, all right, this day is dry. I'm so bored. Not I can dig into. I need something to fix. You know what? I kind of understand because I do like a variety. So I don't treat very much anymore between doing the podcast and working on this project with Mark and us, you know, running our continuing education company. I don't have a lot of time for my patients. I love them, but I just don't get the time. So there's a couple of people that I've kept on regularly because they can only make it during a time that the therapist I've brought on to help me out isn't available. So I had two clients this evening and one of them always comes in with some sort of difficult issue. Either, you know, she's got an SI joint issue, as you mentioned. She often comes in with a lot of TMJ issues, which is what we worked on tonight. And then the second client that I've kept on always comes in and says she wants a full body like relaxation treatment. So I get to treat both of them on the same day. I'm like, this is a fantastic day because I get a little bit of everything. I like it like that. I do too. Like I like one thrown in the mix every now and then, but it can't be your whole day. Can't be your whole day. It can't be your whole day. It can't. If not for me, not for me. (laughs) So now that you've got the new setup and you've got your studio, I know you're a workaholic, but I also know that you've got a, you're a business minded person. Like we spoke before we started recording and I know that you have goals and plans for your business. So I know part of that has to include an exit strategy from this Cairo clinic. Like as much as you love them, you've got to pour your energy into your space, right? Do you have a timeline for that yet? Do you have a plan or are you just, you know, waiting to see what happens? I I got to know. So I kind of just kept looking for the right space and, you know, I would average my cost of rent and utilities and insurance. And I was like, oh, I only have to do like 97 massages to break even. Like that's totally doable. And then I would just not do it because that's obviously not feasible when you're starting off um, and you're trying to eliminate debt being an issue later on. Mm. So I found a small space that was like very reasonably priced. I kept my rent super low. Utilities were included. And it was like, two months, not even after my mom passed. And I don't know, I found it on Facebook marketplace and I went there two days later, looked at it, agreed to it. Um, December 28th, New Year's Eve, I got COVID. So I was out of commission for like 10 days. I got COVID on New Year's Eve. Yeah. It was, it it was fine for me. (laughs) It was all right. It was, I got through it. Um, but he wanted me in the space February 1st. So I was kind of like, shit, (laughs) I don't have time for this, Um, but it was what it was. And actually it let me sit down and do a lot of research. So I just researched spas in the area, independent massage therapists in the area. I looked at their pages, their social medias, what they were doing, what they weren't doing, what I liked, what I didn't like, what their prices were, what their services were, what their reviews were like. And I just like realized like we in my area, we, unless you're going and getting a massage at a chiropractor, which most chiropractors around here don't offer. Um, you're really, it's hard to find a therapist that does this type of work. So I was like, this is going to be great. And the therapists who do do this type of work are completely booked. So I'm like, this is a perfect time for me to get my foot in the door and just see if this, I can make something of this. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, if I have four people a week, which doesn't seem like much, but I had him, you know. I didn't really, wasn't really taking side clients at that point because of COVID anymore. So I was like, if I can get four people in a week, I can cover my bills. This will be fine. I'll make it work. And then I don't know, out of nowhere, I was just getting like fully booked out. And like, I probably have about like 15 open hours when I started. And I was just getting booked out like that from social media. All of my mobile clients started contacting me saying like, I'm absolutely transitioning into the studio. And it just kind of like, blew up really fast, which I am forever grateful for, but also was not as prepared. So now I'm two months in, I've been consistently booked and I'm weaning out of the chiropractor. 
um, so that I can take on more clients at my studio. Um, but I also, we've been short staffed, so I'm trying to do it respectfully. I have a very good working relationship with everyone and I don't want to screw them over for everything that they've done for me. Um, and my boss is a very good business mentor as well. He has three practices. So he's been really awesome. Yeah, that's great that you have such a good relationship with them. Like they're supportive of you going out on your own and I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, for me personally, I've never burned a bridge with anyone that I worked with. You know, any place that I've rented or any clinic I've worked at, I I don't see the need to leave on bad terms. I've always been very open and honest with them. If I had something else going on, if I was going to be working somewhere else, uh, one of the first places I worked at actually, um, it seemed all great. But you know, normally if a clinic is trying to bring on a practitioner, they're going to make their clinic seem fantastic, right? Like the skeptic in me was like, oh, I don't know. Like I got a really good vibe and a really good energy from the place. That's why I wanted to work there. But then there was always this little voice saying like, don't throw all your eggs in one basket. But part of my contract with this place was that I couldn't work within a certain radius, right? You know, they always have those radius clauses in there. I know that they're not really technically legally binding. I mean, they are, but they're not. Who's going to like hire a lawyer and go to court to fight that? But I wanted to be respectful. So I spoke to the clinic owner that when I started working there and I said, listen, you know, like I am new to this profession. I want to get some experience. There's another clinic that's only about a block and a half from here that is looking for a part-time therapist. Is there any way I can, you know, take on both jobs that, you know, we're we're not going to have a conflict of interest. And I think she just appreciated my openness and my honesty so much that she was like, yeah, like as long as you are not taking our patients there or vice versa, you know, like keep your practices separate. I, you know, go do what you got to do. You do you make your money. And it, it was a really good working relationship that way. So I think what you're doing makes a lot of sense, right? You're still sticking with the people who helped you out. You're working on your own business. Eventually they know you're going to phase out because you got to focus on what you're yeah. building. And hopefully this is going to build to a point where you can get that crazy expensive space and have on, you know, have new practitioners and have people working with you. And it could be who knows what it could be. It can be huge. Yeah. And I, I made it known from the start, as soon as I had my first interview and he asked me what my future was for my career, I said, I want to open my own business. Um, and we, it was just kind of like you, the vibe was perfect. I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. We have such a good working, but also friendship with everyone who's there. We're really close. It's like a family. Um, so it's awesome. We all learn from each other and they teach me a lot. Like even when it comes in Pennsylvania, you can't bill um, massage for insurance unless it's prescribed by a doctor. So you have to have that doctor in front of your name. So he's given me like so much knowledge and guidance on how to go after that in the future. And I hope one day it does turn into some sort of like partnership. Maybe we can do something together or I really love my boss and appreciate them for all that they are and all that they do. So I'm not going to screw them and leave them high and dry with like a book full of clients they can't fill. And um, we did have, I made it known when I told him I got the space, like I'm not taking anyone from here. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I've learned a lot and I'm not really telling people like my clients what I'm doing. Um, Yeah. So I'm just trying to be respectful and respect both boundaries. I think, yeah, I think having integrity is really important. You know, we've heard, we've heard all sorts of stories over the years doing the podcast. You know, we've heard of people poaching clients. We've heard about, you know, business relationships ending really badly because of dishonesty. And it honestly, it just isn't worth it. There's so many clients and there, there literally are more clients than therapists to handle them. You know what I mean? Like there's enough for all of us. And so I think if, you can just be very transparent with wherever you're working. I did the same thing as you. When I started working at the first place that I was ever at, I told her right up front, my eventual goal is to be my own boss and, you know, have my own thing, however that's going to look. And she was like, yeah, I would assume that 
that's what a lot of massage therapists want to do. And she said, you know, let's see where this goes. But we always had a very open and honest relationship. And to this day, like we're, we're still friends, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And honestly, the way I see it is, I mean, one, I just don't think I have that mean bone in my body, but I don't want someone to do that to me. You work your ass off to build a business. And, you know, I think that like, I always got paid well, especially in comparison to what I, you know, other people in my industry, especially coming out of school, I always got raises when I deserve them, whether I asked or didn't ask. So it's like, I always got treated with respect and that I was a valuable member of the team. And I just wouldn't want someone to do that to me. So I'm like, there's only one client who I'm kind of like heartbroken to leave because they've been my client from the start. And maybe that's a conversation I'll have later down the line if I think it's worth it. But I think my, I think I kept that client there and that client would still go there for other therapies. So I don't know, but I would obviously ask before I ever made a move on that. Well, and again, when I I don't know what the rules are where you are, but here in Ontario, when a practitioner is leaving a clinic, the clinic or the practitioner and or has to inform the clients that the therapist is leaving. You don't have to tell them where you're going, but you do have to inform them that you're leaving and offer them some sort of alternative, somebody else to continue their care and to make sure that they know that they can access their records, et cetera, et cetera. So I mean, even if you don't have the rule there, once certain clients know you're leaving, some may follow you. That's very different than you poaching them, right? Like they're people, they have the freedom to choose their practitioners. And if you've built a relationship with them, some of them may decide to continue getting massage therapy with you and they may still see the chiropractor. And I think again, because you've been really um, upfront and honest and you know, you've know you you've upheld your integrity in this whole thing, I can't see the chiropractor being any kind of upset if some clients choose to go with you, because obviously this chiropractor knows that you're a good therapist. You've managed to maintain your practice there for three years. Yeah. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. (laughs) I don't either. I hope not anyway. So, so far, being that you are so green, (laughs) green being new, (laughs) what, what would you say is your favorite part about being a massage therapist? My favorite part I don't know. This is going to sound a little selfish, but my favorite part is feeling like I am a positive impact on someone else's life. And whether that's making them feel better by manual therapy or just sometimes you're someone's reason to practice self-care, like that person might be like, I wouldn't have done this if this wasn't an appointment that I had to come to. Um, So I just feel like I'm giving something back and helping other people just makes me happy. I know this sounds so lame and like I'm lying, but I'm not. (laughs) It really does make me happy and it feeds a part of my soul. It's almost like what I say about charity. Like I do a lot of things for charity and people are like, you're such a great person. And I'm like, but am I? Because I feel like I just do it because it makes me feel good about myself. Well, there's no such thing as a, as, as a true altruistic act. So this is normal. This is yep. a normal thing that you're feeling. I was going to say the same thing. I feel like you're in my brain right now. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what Mark said is absolutely true. I was wondering why that true. sounded smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely wasn't me. What he said is absolutely true. Like part of, okay, I'm going to sound like such a loser right now, but um, you are a nanny, so you will appreciate this. My kids have this book that is one of their favorite books. And there's actually, it's a, I don't know how many. It's about filling buckets. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know how many books are in this series, but we have two of them at least. And it's called um, How to Be a Bucket Filler. And it's about um, spreading like love and kindness to everyone you meet. And so it's teaching kids about, you know, everybody you meet has this invisible bucket. And when you do something nice for somebody else, it fills their bucket. So, you know, even just saying hi or like welcoming a new student into class, inviting them to come have lunch with you or play with you or whatever, you're filling their bucket, their imaginary bucket. But when you do that, you're also filling your own because making other people happy or making other people smile 
also fulfills something in you. Like that is just normal human behavior. Like we've, you know, we read this book to our kids all the time and uh, our oldest really takes this to heart, you know, like she loves doing things to make people happy. And she'll tell me like, yeah, it was so nice. I, you know, I gave this to my friend Kira and she was so happy and she'll be like, and then I felt really good about it. Like that's just, that's normal. Like there's, there's no such thing as a completely altruistic act. Like, I don't think you can possibly find something where you're doing something completely selfless and it doesn't make you feel a little bit good. Right? Yeah, that's true. I like that. Yeah. So be a bucket. And I love that book. I'm going to order that. I actually just looked it up. Oh, did you? (laughs) It's almost, it reminds me, there's a book and it's called The Feeling Spot and it's like a series. So it teaches about your emotions. Like there's like a sad spot, an anxiety spot, a love spot, and it's similar. And so it teaches you what feeds those spots and what grows them and then how to handle them. So we read those and they're really adorable. And the love spot's cute. It's like we grow people's love spot by similar, like giving them compliments, giving them hugs when they need it, sharing toys. And the kids love it. It's so cute. You know, I'm so happy that um, there's so much focus these days on emotional intelligence. (laughs) I feel like most of us and our parents' generation and, you know, generations before that were really lacking in that. Absolutely. I wish that I learned how to speak upon my emotions because it gave, I didn't even realize until a certain age, I was like, do I have communication issues? Because I thought I was a great at communicating and I don't really get angry and I'm calm and I'm level-headed and I'm all these things. But on the other spectrum, I like, don't know how to like say when things bother me or make me feel a certain type of way, kind of again, circling back to boundaries. Um, so then I was like, oh my gosh, like I do have a form of communication issues. And I think it's so important for parents, teachers, nannies, anyone who works with children and other people, just to be mindful of that. I try not to shy the kids away from their emotions and how they feel because that's the only way you're going to teach them how to express themselves in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you talked about Zodiacs earlier. I'm an Aquarius. So I mean, most of my life I spent pushing everything far down into the (laughs) black heart that I have. And, uh, I will actually credit Mark a little bit for me sort of deciding not to do that anymore. Um, I will never forget we were we were dating and one of the first like real arguments we had in typical Aquarius fashion, uh, fashion, I was basically like, just go away. I need to cool down. And he was like, or we need to sit down like adults and talk about this. And I was like, whoa. What do you mean? Talk about my feelings. No, I'm going to go for a walk and you're going to stay here. And he was like, no, we're going to talk. And it was the first time anyone actually made me sit down and talk about shit. Sucker. Yeah, but look what you did. Now I'm the one that's like, Mark, we need to talk about things. We need to communicate. And he's like, oh, fuck. You created a monster now. Yeah. (laughs) Look what you did. Sometimes it takes like a little sometimes people just know and you know it was probably the way he said it too like I feel like if people come to other people and what they're saying especially when it's criticism I like to call it like a little sandwich like you have to compliment and then you give the insult and criticism and then you compliment oh yeah I learned that technique I learned that technique (laughs) also like your tone if it's coming from a loving place that person has no choice but to kind of sit in with their thoughts and be like huh, I guess they're onto something here. Um, I feel like when you just, you know, go for like the anger jab, it's, you know, it just makes you look like you're in the wrong. So it's definitely how you approach the situation. Once again, I'm an Aquarius, so I can kill with my words. But, you know, he's taught me. He's taught me some things. (laughs) (laughs) So where are we going to be in five years, Heather, since you've only been in practice for yourself for two months where are you envisioning this to be in five years? Um, I'm hoping that I will be out of the studio. Um, I would really like to have a wellness center. I really like the whole, um, I want to stay away from the spa setting. I've had people reach out and be like, I'm an esthetician, bring me on. And it's like the beauty, the spa, that's not really my thing. Um, like I want to do, I 
I really want to work on like corrective and sports and pain management. So I would love to have a chiropractor working with me or a physical therapist. Um, and I would just love to be able to offer like full treatments. I think that chiropractic and massage together is like this amazing little union. Um, the chiropractor is obviously balancing someone structurally and skeletally. And then it's like, they come and see me and I'm fixing the muscular problems. And then they can also get stretching there if they want. So it's like, they can come in for a full package and really like, it's just great healing for their body. So that's kind of where I want my business to be in five years, hopefully. Well, hopefully we will still be around podcasting, talking to people and getting updates. <laughs> I hope so. You guys are great. I Mark's laughing so much right now. I'm so hungry. I'm, that's not why I'm laughing. I'm starving here. I got the, <laughs> I got the fucking munchies so bad. <laughs> well, if you're a foodie, Heather, I will tell you. And again, some people might disagree with me, but those people are wrong. I live from Scarborough. It is, as I said, the far east part of Toronto. Um, we have probably one of the most culturally diverse areas in the entire city. I don't even want to say probably. It just is. Some of the best food comes out of Scarborough. Like we have just, it's these small little like family owned restaurants that you might not have high expectations of. And then you walk in and you walk out like, holy shit, that was like the best thing I've ever eaten. Like if you are somebody that's very adventurous with food, you want to try like um, different types of ethnic food, this East End is where you need to come. Um, I'm there. You don't even have to sell me. As soon as you said food, I was like, mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Well, definitely if you are, I mean, actually we didn't even say that when we started the episode. Originally when uh, Heather and I were going back and forth via Facebook, she said, I just love your city. Um, I would come up there and I was like, you're not really going to come here just to do a podcast, are you? And she's like, yeah, I would. It didn't work out because it was very short notice to plan. So we decided to record remotely, but eventually Heather's going to make another trip to Toronto. And when she does, we will set something up again and we will record in person at our office in Scarborough. And then we'll go for some like East Indian or West Indian or Thai or Vietnamese because you can get fucking everything here. And I love all that. And I love people who have, you know, a good palate and we can just order the whole menu and then we just split everything. She's <laughs> because my, my indecisions paralyze me. So I'm one of those people that sits there in front of the menu for 30 minutes. But if I have people that will like eat everything else I order, then I'll be like, all right, I'll just get one of everything. And then, yeah, I love that. So nice to talk to you. And I'm, you know, really hoping to hear some great updates in the very near future about what's happening with your studio. And hopefully if and when, I shouldn't say if, you will. When you do come to Toronto, let us know and we will set up something to do a follow-up in person. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you guys for having me on. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.